you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at that uh, passage in just a moment, beginning in verse 18. Matthew chapter 28. It's good to see everyone here. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted that you're among us. You're our honored guest. We ask that you uh, come back and visit with us anytime you can and just... Uh, let us get to know you afterwards. If you're a member here, it's just good to see you and be able to worship with the family of God, which meets here at Lakeside. Um, I will say, I, I, the, the, last, <laughs> the lyrics of that last hymn we just sung, I just think are so beautiful. Um, just thinking toward the day when we will be with Jesus, the day that because of his power, we will rise. We will rise in his uh, uh, resurrection that he is. That he, that he will give to us, to those who submit to him. Um, we're going to kind of talk about that notion a little bit more this morning, as specifically as we talk about baptism. There's a few things that uh, kind of hearken to that kind of language when you think about baptism. If you don't already know, we, and it's still in the bulletin, but we've had four uh, young ladies who were baptized uh, into Christ in the last couple of weeks, and it was a very joyful occasion. Not just to get the first notification that, that two of them had been baptized, but then just not too long afterward, another notification that two others. I kind of thought that it was just a, a, you know, a, a glitch in the matrix, so to speak. There, I was just getting a repeat email, but no, it was, it was four individuals. Uh, and it was exciting because what you have there are people who have been added to the kingdom of God, people who we can now call true sisters in Christ people who have been washed in his blood. Um, and so that kind of got me thinking about baptism in and of itself, and I wanted to just have a very simple uh, foundational lesson on baptism. Uh, as you see on the screen, the title of this lesson would essentially be just common questions about baptism. Because I think that there are a lot of questions that people ask, whether it be uh, maybe more difficult questions, more profound questions, or maybe just simply more of the... Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe the cosmetics of baptism, which we're going to talk about this morning, but two main points, uh, and it, they both have to do with the, the order of most essential questions to answer. And so we want to start with the primary question as we speak about uh, what I would say is very, very simple teaching. And yet, throughout the religious world abroad, um, you go to denominational folks, and what they'll say is time and time again, the opposite of what the scriptures teach about baptism. And so we want to know what the scriptures, scriptures teach. And when it says something that maybe we don't, maybe goes against the grain in our minds, we don't just want to, you know, brush it under the rug. We don't want to act like it's not there. We want to acknowledge what the scriptures teach and we want to truly apply it. So beginning in Matthew chapter 28, as we think about the very first question that must be, uh, that I think comes up maybe most often, arguably, uh, but is one of the most essential to answer, and that is the question of, is it actually necessary? If you're already in Matthew chapter 28, in verse 18, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus has, has been crucified, he's risen from death, and before he ascends into heaven, uh, at the beginning of Acts, he gives some instruction to his apostles, and what does he tell them? It says that he says to, to the apostles in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I would just say, from this passage alone, I think that's pretty convicting. I think that's pretty uh, convincing evidence when, it, when you talk about the necessity of baptism when it comes to our conversion, when it comes to being added into Christ's kingdom, him being the ruler, the king. You look over at a passage simple as 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. As he talks about the example of Noah and the flood, he, be, he says in verse 21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after, an angels, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So you have two different passages, and we'll look at a few, different, uh, few, few others, especially in the book of Acts. But you have two different passages that say something very emphatically about baptism. That it is expected, not only that it's expected, but that it is commanded. And not only that, there's just a passing reference in 1 Peter chapter 3 where Peter's just essentially saying, I mean, this is, this is just, this, this, essentially it's obvious to the readers um, that it, where he doesn't have to go into too much explanation, but he talks about Noah and says, okay, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. This is one of the things that God requires of those who want to submit to him fully. Um, and so I, I would just say, I think that's clear enough. You look at a passage like Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. It says, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is an argument that, that I have heard every now and then. I don't know maybe how prominent it is. I think it kind of gets, it has fads every now and then. It gets more prominent, and then it kind of dies out. But every now and then I've heard people talk about this Greek word that shows up for four. And I just wanted to very quickly uh, suggest that I think it's, it's really all just amounts to a bunch of hullabaloo. It is people, I think, trying to speak very scholarly and academically. But when you just take a very simple look at this word used in other passages, it does not show up. It, it can't show up the way they would suggest. So what they would say is instead of Peter saying, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, what they would suggest is this Greek word. I believe it's pronounced ice. It doesn't matter. But it is be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ because of the forgiveness of your sins. Now, this, I, I think... I think pretty clearly there is a great distinction between the two different words. There's a lot being said. In fact, I think that's the reason people bring this argument up. And so very quickly, just with one passage, I don't think you have to go very deeply into this kind of study. I mean, when people you go into very deeply into Greek words, I think sometimes they maybe just be trying to confuse. Maybe sometimes it's honest. So this is for the honest people. But in Matthew chapter 26, here's an example in verse 28 of this same word being used, and I want to maybe apply it the same way the, those, uh, uh, the proponents of this idea would say. Matthew 26 and verse 27, as he is instituting the Lord's Supper, it says that he had taken a cup and given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness. That's, that's the wrong for there. It should be for many for forgiveness of sins. Or in fact, actually, I think it's the, the same Greek word but for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this may actually be wrong since that's, that's the wrong highlighted word, but in Matthew 26 and verse 28, no, it's, it's the correct one. Certain people would say instead of for many, 
uh, for many for uh, because of forgiveness of sins, they would say, "My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for because of forgiveness of sins." Or sorry, I read that wrong. For many because of forgiveness of sins. Now, that is clearly teaching something else than if you use the word for there. And one thing that that suggests is, well, if it's because of the forgiveness of sins, that means that the forgiveness of sins has been accomplished without the blood of Christ. And, it, and you go beyond that. What's the point of even shedding the blood if forgiveness of sins is already attained? No, it doesn't make any sense. And so I, I just wanted to, just in looking at one passage alone, I think that whole notion just kind of topples on itself. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And what it is, I think, is just a very, um, whether it be clumsily done or, or assertively done, I think it's an attempt to just do away with what the Bible clearly teaches about the baptism. So is it necessary? It is absolutely necessary. It is the very means by which we come into contact with the blood of Christ, which is a must. Over in Acts chapter 2, uh, in verse 38, as we just looked at, he, Peter says very clearly, that you need to be baptized, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 22 in verse 16. Acts chapter 22 in verse 16. As it uh, is uh, talking about recounting Paul's conversion story. He speaks about Ananias, that certain disciple who was used by God to, to go and, and assist Paul. And so in verse 16 of Acts chapter 22, Ananias asks him, Why do you delay Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. If we want to be in contact, be put in contact with the blood of Christ, and you see this even more in Romans chapter 6, which this is the next passage we're going to go to. But the, the way we do that, as far as we can tell from the New Testament, is through baptism. Um, again, you want to turn over to Romans chapter 6. It is how we are united with him in his death and burial and resurrection. Romans chapter 6 in verse 3 beginning. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, again, here is, is a, another passage where it talks about, of many in the New Testament, the need for us to deny ourselves and, and the need for the old man to be put aside. You see this in Colossians chapter 2. The need for that old man to be put to death, to be buried, and for the new the one that would have, not, not me living, but Christ living in me. That's the one that needs to rise and continue walking. And so there's, there's a death that's talked about throughout the New Testament that we need to accept, that we need to put ourselves under, so that way we can rise in that newness of life. As I always say at the, during the invitation, in his life. So that way we can truly say like Paul, it is not I who make the choice. It's not me who, who, who uh, is, is making all these decisions, it is Christ in me. It is Christ, not Paul, whose will I follow. Um, and so there's a few different things that could be mentioned there when you look at Romans chapter 6. But finally, when it comes to this main question, I think it's just very simply a requirement of faith. Over in Colossians chapter 2, I don't think, I know, in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Colossians 2 and verse 11. 
as he talks about Jesus and his authority and his deity, he says, And in him, that is Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now, as he talks about this circumcision made without hands, he, he ends by saying, you received this circumcision of Christ. And how did you, did you receive it? When did you receive it? What did you do? What had to be done in verse 14 uh, or in verse 13 he says having uh, or, or rather in verse 12 rather having been buried with him in baptism you all were also raised up in him and so I, when we this is the same thing that happens when people talk about faith i think it's just a misunderstanding of what faith looks like it is not just an idle uh, mere mental assent of facts, saying, I believe God, I think he exists. There's a lot more to faith than just that. No, but it is active, and it, is, it, it requires action. Um, and so I, I think it's just one of, the, one of the main answers we need to look at and, and hound in over and over is that it is a requirement of faith. If you want to be faithful, if you want to be truly faithful, this is one of the things you must do. And as we just say that very quickly, it's not like we're saying this is the only thing. No. There are a few things that the New Testament makes clear we have to do to become a Christian. You have to repent. In fact, that's coupled with baptism in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized. It would mean nothing. Your baptism would mean nothing if you didn't choose to repent of your sins. If you just said, well, I want to be baptized, but I'm going to live the exact same way I've been living. And I don't care what, what Jesus says or wants me to do. It would mean, all it would be is a very silly bath at that point. That doesn't mean anything. So... It is a requirement, a strong requirement of faith that God says he wants his people to be buried in the same way, to rise in the same way, in, in a similar way, a parallel of, of Jesus, and that we would uh, take on that newness of life. And I would just add to that as well. People talk about baptism sometimes as being a work. I like this passage uh, when it comes to that kind of a, a question. You know, well, is it, does that mean baptism is a work? The, the, the works and faith discussion aside, who is the focus? Who is the one that is, is talked about having done the work in, in Colossians chapter 2? You remember what it says? When you were uh, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. So really what we have is just, just the wrong focus. You need to be focusing more on what God has accomplished, on the work that God has done. Now, it's just a matter simply of, are, are you willing to do what he says? Are you willing to do what he has required? That's, that's the only thing you need to ask yourself. And these other questions, they're not, they're not questions we need to, to, to hinder ourselves with. God has required it. That's all. God is the one who has accomplished the work. Now, we have to submit ourselves to him. And we have to submit ourselves to him, and he will grant us that victory in his son, but only through his son. So, I think that's the primary question. Now... I, I titled this next set of questions just secondary questions. I don't mean that they're less important, but I do think in terms of what needs to be answered first, no, none of this matters unless we agree baptism is essential. It's necessary, as, as the scriptures make clear all throughout the New Testament. First of all, one of these questions would be, does immersion really matter? 
What is, you know, why is it that we are, <laughs> why is immersion a particularity that matters so much to all of us? Why, why is it something that we have to talk about at length at times? And, and why can't we just agree to disagree on this? Well, there's a couple reasons, and, and we, I'm sure we're not going to get into all of them, but a few reasons. For one thing, as we already read in Romans chapter 6, Colossians chapter 2, what God has said is, it is something that you can't do without. It's something that, that you can't afford to do without and to submit to. And what people are doing when they come and ask these questions and just try to take that away and say, why can't a sprinkling just do? Why can't we just pour a little bit of water on their heads so that way we don't have to dry off the entire body? What you're doing is taking away our very means of coming into contact with that blood of Christ, as we established just a few moments ago. We need to be washed in his blood. And how, how do we do that? Well, the best indication we have is when, when we are baptized. When we get into those baptismal waters. Not only that, but I, I, I just, I wonder what the reasoning for the questions are. What does it matter in the end? I can't help but think about the story of, in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 14. You remember? What, what? Why are, you, why are you so stressed out about, oh, well, I, I wanted God to tell me to go take a bath in. I wanted God to tell me to wash in some of these better waters. The Jordan River, that's disgusting. I don't want to do that. That's for peasants. That's not for, that's not for you know, a soldier. That's not for someone of my prominence. That's not someone from, of my prestige. I would rather take, I would rather wash myself. I would rather God have made it a, a bigger spectacle. And it's a servant that comes to him and says, what? What's the point? Would, wouldn't you have done it if God had maybe made a bigger spectacle about it? But God has made just a very simple request of you, and yet you're angry? Oh, rightful anger, sure. It's, no, it's silly. God has given him a cure to a disease that was incurable. But I'm going to pout because the Jordan River is disgusting, and it's not as, as, uh, as great as, as my position, and I'm going to have to stoop down to that level. But you know what? He obeys. After all that anger, what does he do? He obeys the command, and because he obeyed the command, the healing came. What do you think would have happened if he had gone and decided, I'm not doing it in the Jordan River. I'm going to obey God's command, but I'm going to do it in, in another river that I want to. Do you think he still would have been healed? No, because the power was in God and his word. And unless we're willing to submit to it, well, then we're not going to receive that healing. And so I just, when I think about that, I think it's the same kind of foolishness. There's no purpose. There's no need to change it. So why bother? God has already given us something that is so simple to understand and simple to accomplish. It's not like you go to some of this, you know, uh, some of this mythology about, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, a plethora of gods. And you think about some of those stories like Hercules. He had to go through several different trials to attain his godhood. That's not what God says that we have to do. He doesn't do such a, really, a, a random thing. What he says is, I want you to do this, and because it has meaning, because this is what gets you in contact with his blood. It is this that, that symbolizes that death, that accomplishes that death that needs to occur. And so it's, it's quite simple. There's no reason to change it. Well, going beyond that, another question might be just a matter of when. When should one be baptized? You know, when does it... Is there, is there a, a certain day that needs to be, you know, uh, preferred? Should we wait till Sunday? You know, sometimes these are questions that, that you know, ki that, that our kids will ask. 
And maybe you're thinking, well, I've gone, I know all this, there's no reason to go through it. Well, I'm glad you do. It's good review, first of all, but secondly, there may be people in the audience that just don't know. And there may be people who have this in their minds, but they just, because they've been here for a while, or maybe they're just embarrassed that they never asked the question in the first place, they still don't know. And so this is one, another reason why we're going through this. And it also is because there are still people in this room who have not been baptized yet, and they will need to know. And they need to know this not because we, we just want to make sure that we're doing X, Y, and Z perfectly and kind of a pharisaical attitude about it. We are wanting to make sure we do this correctly. We are wanting to make sure that we're doing this right. Because how else can we look at a commandment that God has given us but with thanks and with reverence and the right proper amount of fear we can't just approach this cavalierly and and just all right i'm ready for it let's get it done no there's got to be a certain mindset there's got to be a certain heart that that we must have before we can actually become a christian and so when should one get baptized well when people ask that when people have asked that to me every single time i have responded do you believe that is almost always my response do you believe do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you have that faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses? Do you have faith like those who are talked about in Hebrews chapter 11? And, I'm not, and not in a way to suggest, well, you know, well, you're not comparing people, them to people to say, well, you're never going to reach this level. But do you believe that you have put yourself in a position that you cannot get yourself out of? that you have broken God's law? Do you acknowledge that you have broken God's law at the very least? Do you believe that Jesus was the Christ and that through his death that you can have that salvation, that that debt can be paid but only through his death? Do you have the kind of faith that will submit to the commandments of God when he says, this is what I want you to do to be saved? Well, if that's the case, well, then it sounds like you're ready. Over in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 and verse 36. Acts chapter 8 and verse 36. <clears throat> the latter half of the chapter, at the beginning it talks about Philip and Samaria and the joy because of the gospel uh, that came to the people. Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, as it's talking about the Ethiopian eunuch as Philip is preaching to him. It says, as they went along the road, they came to some water. And this was while they were talking about Christ. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, here is a man who was just reading about Isaiah chapter 53. He, he, wasn't even, he hadn't even made the connection. He, he, was, he had to get help from Philip. Philip had just come to him and started talking to him about how the one that you're reading about, that suffering servant, that's Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ, and he is the one that fulfilled that prophecy. And it seems like this is the first time he's making that connection. And yet, in the same chariot ride, as soon as the unit comes across the water, which, let me just take a second to say, indicates something about what Philip was preaching as he's preaching about the gospel, the need for you know a body of water to be baptized in. But as he comes to that body of water, he immediately stops and says, listen, what hinders me? What, what else? I think, it's, I think to a degree what he's asking is, what else do I need? Can I, can, I, can, I, can I do it now? 
Is there anything else that I need to do before I, have to, before I can accomplish this? And Philip asks him. And he makes that good confession. And afterwards, he's baptized into Christ. That's a beautiful story. But it tells us much. It gives us a lot of information. And, and for one thing, as it pertains to the question that's asked, it speaks of the urgency of what we're doing. And so when we know that we have incurred a debt we cannot pay, that only Christ can pay, and we understand that he has offered that salvation, if we're willing to submit to that, what it seems like from the New Testament is over and over again, can we do it now? What hinders me? Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer in verse 33, it says, In that very hour, as they were preached the gospel, he and his household were baptized and added to the church. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, as we already read, when Ananias finally came to Paul, Paul had been stewing for a while, blind, and thinking about what was going on. What was Paul to do? Well, God gave provision for Paul. He sent Ananias, that certain disciple. Ananias gave him the word of God. And what did Paul do? It doesn't seem like he hindered himself. It doesn't seem like he uh, delayed or was reluctant. Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. The urgency of, of accepting the invitation of the gospel is ever present throughout the New Testament. And not just in the book of Acts, but even in the epistles, especially when they start talking about the judgment. Second Peter chapter 3, as he talks about how the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, but he, is just, he's, he extends his mercy because he wants everyone that will be saved to be saved. He wants people to be saved, and that is why he gives mercy yet another day. And... <laughs> And so all throughout you see this notion of the judgment is coming. But God has so willingly, accessibly given you a way to, to uh, be on, on the right side of that judgment. Instead of facing it as an enemy, you face it as a person who, whose king is bringing that judgment, whose king is, is having the victory for his nation. And so the urgency can't be, uh, I think, overstressed um, or overemphasized. But I would just say to that, especially as you think about how a lot of these uh, accounts in, in the book of Acts, you see people who are baptized that very moment as they're realizing uh, what the gospel is, what the gospel says. And I would just say, especially as you think about Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer, in the same hour he's baptized, what I think this suggests is you don't have to understand absolutely everything. There's no way you could. There's a reason that in the Bible class we're taking it step by step. There's a reason that there is no way you're going to get into every detail when you go through the entire Bible story in one class. But no, you, you're, as we go throughout each cycle, we're going to get into more detail. But in, in those first couple of classes, oh goodness, we wouldn't have the time to get through just the Old Testament if we're going through every single detail of the entire Bible story. And so it, it, this isn't to say that you have to know absolutely everything. But again, going back to that initial question, but do you believe? Do you have the same knowledge that the Ethiopian eunuch did who said, I have access. I know I need it. Is there anything stopping me? And so when should I be baptized? I would say... <laughs> As soon as you realize that you need Jesus, that you need that salvation, if you're, as soon as you come to that level of maturity, I think that's right, the same level of maturity that Rahab had. She didn't have much, 
She had the stories of the judgment that God had brought to the other nations. She had the stories of the fearful God and the, the nation that that God was leading. And that knowledge saved her. And so it's, it's, it, it may be, yes, uh, 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 somewhat immature to a degree knowledge, but it's knowledge that's going to increase. It's knowledge that's going to grow. Now, if it's someone who acts like they never want to grow past that, well, that, I think, is a good indicator of what kind of heart they have and maybe an indicator that maybe they're not ready. <clears throat> That's why, uh, incidentally, sometimes there was a, there, not too long ago, or actually, I guess it was a year or so ago, uh, so still not too long ago, I had the opportunity to uh, talk to a girl. We were at um, some, some camp, and during one of the off hours, I had given a, uh, a Bible lesson, and, and I, I, we were talking about fear. And I basically just said, uh, you know, God says that we shouldn't have a spirit of fear, but at the same time, he says to fear him. And we got to the end of that lesson, and it was not my intention to make anyone cry or sob, but she was sobbing. And I, and I just thought, well, I, I must have made a mistake somewhere. But it wasn't that I had made a mistake. She was touched by not, not my eloquence or anything like that, but by what the gospel had said, that we must fear the Lord and that there's a good reason to be fearful of the judgment that is to come if we're not on his side. And she said, I, I, I don't want to leave this, this, I don't want to leave this site. I don't want to leave this week until I have been baptized. And one of the questions I asked her a couple of times were, is there any reason that you might not want to be baptized? And sometimes people might look at you in a weird way and say, well, what are you, are you trying to make sure that, are you just trying to convince them out of it? And, and my answer is kind of yes and no. I don't, I, don't, I don't want it to be that the end of that is that someone decides that they are not going to be baptized in the long run. But what I want is someone who is truly, truly devoted. Not just someone who's doing it on a win. Or not just someone who's doing it because their friends are. We need to make sure that this is someone who is truly ready. Who says, I, I need this. And if they're ready for that, well then, well then let's, let's get it done. And it was a beautiful moment. Because she was ready. And, and we talked about that. She, she, she even kind of talked about her family and how she was worried about what this was going to cause. And I say, well, are you willing to accept it and, and, and whatever may come? And she said, I think I am. And I said, what if, this is just a crazy scenario, but what if they said that you are going to have to move out? Because they were, I won't go into great detail, but they were somewhat uh, uh, hostile to, um, to uh what she had been uh, t taught uh, as she had been going to a sound congregation and she was being taught the gospel. And so they were a bit hostile to that. And so I just said, what would you do? Would you still want to be baptized if you knew that when you got home and they realized you were, they would kick you out? And she said, honestly, even if that should come, there's nothing else that I want more in this world than to be baptized right at this moment. And I was like, that's someone that's ready if ever there was one. That's a beautiful story. They're not all like that but that's someone who's ready. And so the question is, do you have that kind of faith that you need Jesus? Well, another question is, who is to baptize? And I would just say very quickly, uh, sometimes uh, this question is asked maybe because they want someone specific. Maybe we're thinking we want to wait for someone specific to baptize us. Again, maybe that might be an indicator that, that we're just not ready yet. That, you know what, I know I need to be baptized right now, but I think I want to wait till the end of the week I want to wait for dad to come home from his business trip so that he can be the one to baptize me. 
I can't remember who it was in, in Paige's family. It may have been, I, well, I can't remember who it was, but it was someone in her family. And they had called JR, granddad. They had called JR Bronger and, and they had said, listen, I, I, I know I need to be baptized, but would you be mad at me if, if someone else baptized me instead of you? And you know what he said? He wasn't angry. He said, I would be angry with you if you did wait for me. And they were baptized that hour. And so sometimes we just have the wrong focus on, on the who. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, very quickly, Paul talks about some uh, issues that the brethren had gotten in because of just simple, basically, favorite teachers or favorite preachers that they had. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, as Paul is kind of talking about the silliness of this, he says, beginning in verse 13, Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, he's not saying there, as some have, I think, very feebly suggested, he's not saying there, baptism doesn't matter. What he's saying is, what matters is whose name you're baptized into. And it shouldn't be that your focus is on, you know, mere man. It needs to be focused on the, ma the son of God that man and he's the only one that matters and so when other questions arise about you know well maybe I was baptized by someone but a couple years later not too long after it turns out they were just they were false Christian they were not who they said they were does that mean that my baptism means anything does it mean that I, does it mean that it just meant nothing well again to that person I just say thank goodness the power is not in them but in Christ the name that we are actually baptized into so very quickly I think we just need to to refocus and realize it's not about anyone but him. It's not about anyone but submitting ourselves to him. And so the urgency uh, is, is ever present there. Finally, this is a question that I think is, is maybe, well, obviously, more so for those who are already Christians, already been added to the kingdom. And that is, should I be rebaptized? Well, just a few things here. One, if you are discouraged, if you feel like maybe your baptism doesn't mean anything because it was maybe a long time ago, maybe you're in your 50s and you were baptized at 18, and you kind of think back and you're like, well, I, I know that I didn't know enough. I know that, that, that I, I did not realize the, the seriousness of what occurred at the cross, especially as much as I do now. Well, first of all, notice in Romans chapter 6 who Paul is writing to. It doesn't seem like as he's talking about baptism, he's talking to people who had not been baptized. But he's saying, don't you know that this is what you did? Don't you know that this is what you went through? This is what you entered when you were baptized? And so I think that that's encouraging for us. That when we think some, maybe something similar, not exactly what they were thinking at the time. But when we think something similar to the degree of, well, it was such a long time ago. Was it really valid? I mean, I, I, or especially, I don't feel like I had as much uh, sober thoughts about the cross as I do now. Let me just say, that should be the case, that you have much more sober thoughts, that you have much more convicting faith now, after 20, 30 years, than you did when you were first baptized. I think that it's so crucial for us to understand that because people get discouraged and it's like, you know, when, when, I, when I first got married, I did not go up to, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I know, and I think I even knew then that I was going to love Paige more and more as we went by. 
But especially when I look back today and all the things that we have gone through in just, in just a little less than five years, all the things that we have gone through, I could not think back to that day and even suggest for a moment that I knew exactly I, I loved her enough or I loved her as much as I do today. If I did, oh, that may be a problem because there's a bit of growing that needed to happen when we first got married. And so it, it's, it makes sense. It's appropriate to feel more convicted. It's appropriate to feel more in love with the Lord than you did when you were first baptized. If you don't feel more convicted, well, that's a separate issue. That's something we can still talk about. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all is for naught. Um, and I would just say finally to that, just understand that baptism is not a mere restart button when we fail. And what I mean by that is... This isn't just something where, oh, I sinned, let's go get baptized again. Oh, you know what? I made a very big boo-boo here, and so we're going to just try and erase that. We're going to get rid of the guilt, and I'm going to go beyond the consequences because, you know what? That first baptism, it didn't mean anything. Uh, there was a, we, me and Paige had a friend, actually, who said some, was talking about being rebaptized one time, and, and I just said, wow, I mean, why? And she, in the exact way that I expressed this to you, she just said, well, you know, it was just such a long time ago, so I thought, why not? And I was like, yes, it doesn't seem like you were ready then, and it seems like you still weren't ready when you got rebaptized. Because if you're going to talk about it in such, a, in such a nonchalant way, not even in such a irreverent way, it sounds like that still meant nothing. You don't, you're not baptized just because I think that sounds fun. You put yourselves in those waters because that is what Christ has commanded, because you are having uh, the most, being added to the most beautiful relationship, a relationship that mimics the marriage one. Again, going back to, to the marriage relationship, what if I came up today after these past few years and all the things that we've been through, and I said to Paige, you know what? That just didn't do it for me. <laughs> so you know what? Let's just do this whole wedding. Let's just redo this whole wedding thing. What do you think would happen? Well, because Paige is a, a good, faithful Christian woman, she wouldn't just smack me senseless, but it would hurt her. And there would be a lot of growing for me to do. Because I, I clearly didn't understand the covenant that I was added to, but, but let me just say, even if that was the case, does that mean that the covenant was not entered into in the first place? We don't get to look back and say, well, you know what, I didn't really know what I was doing, so I don't really care. No one gets to say that. Because you made a vow when you were baptized. You were put into a covenant that you willingly chose. It wasn't something that you were forced into. It's something that you chose. And you chose that you were going to be a servant of God. You chose that you were going to be a part of the bride of Christ forever. And now you're saying, mm, I don't really want to anymore. Well, you don't get to undo those vows. And so we need to remember that as well. That just because maybe we are someone... And hopefully there's no one in this room that feels that way. Maybe you are someone who says, I really didn't understand what I was doing in the first place, so it doesn't matter. I'm not going to receive any of the consequences. I don't want to receive the discipline. That, for, forgive the southern term, but that dog ain't going to hunt. That's not going to work. You don't get to say, oh, I don't really care. You already made the vow. And if you're going to break it, the consequences are on you. And so I, I, as we answer some of those questions all that is just to 
emphasize the sobriety of mind that we should have when we are thinking about being baptized. It's not just something that is a fun spectacle to do on some scheduled day sometime. It is something that we do when we are convicted and convicted that we need the blood of Christ to wash us of our sins. You might be a Christian who, who you're, if you're a Christian, you've already been baptized. Do you need to reevaluate that marriage relationship that you had entered into when you were baptized? It may be that you need to do that. But I will just say, even if you're struggling with that, you can have faith in your baptism. It doesn't mean that all's for naught. Come back to Romans chapter 6 and read what Paul was saying to those Christians. Let that invigorate you. If you are not a Christian, I will just say once more, this is not about trying to get you, inviting you to look just the same way that we all do, trying to look the exact same way that we have done things. That it's not to follow some creed or tradition. It is to follow the tradition of God. What I want to do is when I read through Acts, I want to come away thinking, I want my baptism to have looked like that. I want my baptism to look like that. Do you want your baptism to look like that, like the Ethiopian eunuch, like the, the Philippian jailer, like Paul's? You can do that. The waters are ready. You have access. The question is, are you willing to submit to the God who's given that commandment? If you are, let us assist you in that. Come forward. Let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.